Untitled Beatles podcast. Jeez, TJ, it's good to see you. Jeez, Louise, Tony, it's great <laughs> to see you. I'm referring to Louise Harrison, Illinois' Beatle in Benton. Oh, is that who George Harrison stayed with uh, in, what was it, 63 or something like that? 63, yeah, because it was, when they came to the States in 64, it was just for Ed Sullivan. It was touching down yeah. at, touching down at Kennedy. Right, and then that great DC set. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how you been, man? Dude, I've been great. I got my second vaccine, and I'm not bragging. Good for you. I'm, thank you. I'm, I'm merely, I'm acknowledging two things. One, I am pro-science, and I fully believe in vaccines. I'm thrilled I got it. And two, it has kicked my ass. I got it two days ago as we were recording, and I'm still, I'm feverish. I'm, uh, I'm sweaty. I'm, I'm hot. I'm cold. It's every Jewish person's nightmare. I'm having, oh, I am hot and I'm cold and I'm, I'm sweaty and everything's crazy. You got the Jewish vaccine. I, 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 I put the J in J and J. Uh, no, I, I, I got the Pfizer for all you Bulls fans. Marcus Pfizer, great draft pick. And um, yeah, I, uh, I feel like, like ass, but you know what makes me happy? Talking about Hoobastank. But you oh. know what makes me happier? I found a reason for me. That's a Hoobastank reference. I love talking about the Beatles so much, and that's going to make me feel better. And if it doesn't, I'll die tonight. <laughs> okay, let's, all right, all right. Let's let's put the odds on that not happening. <laughs> Hoobastank, by the way, perhaps one of the worst band names ever. A terrible band name and a terrible band. And they did have that hit, The Reason, in like 0203. That's a terrible, terrible song <laughs> and a terrible band name. Hoobastank, Hoobastunk. Hoobastank. <laughs> well, I got, I've only had my first shot of the Hoobastank vaccine, and I, st- I actually think they're a great band now. <laughs> That's how it does it. Between Bill Gates and Oprah injecting the shit in our bodies, no, 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 no. I know two things. Vaccines will kill you, and the election was rigged. Next. Hey, I, I do want to mention before we get into this, we've had we've gotten emails from a lot of fans lately. Keep the emails and Facebook messages coming. It is humbling to hear from fans of the program. We have a we have a fan in New Zealand who's emailed a couple content suggestions. Yeah. If you have stuff you want to hear, um, a bunch of people want me replaced by somebody they actually what's the phrase enjoy listening to. Uh, <laughs> keep those suggestions coming because we're humbled having fans. This started. At the beginning of the pandemic, when Tony and I, two old improv friends, decided to talk Beatles, and it's it's we're humbled to have um, people listening, and we don't say this enough, but thank you to our producer Casey Baker, all those incredible drops you hear. Uh, these shows not being six hours is a result of Casey's brilliant editing. So we love our fans, and thank you, producer Casey. Casey, oh Casey, don't you know how it makes me so damn crazy? Here, here. Yes, thank you. Yeah, feel free to reach out. And uh, yeah, those suggestions are great. And hello, New Zealand. And hello, Finland. And hello, Japan. Yeah, love us to Japan. And I do want to say with peace and love, no more autographs. Go fuck yourselves. <laughs> I'm warning you with peace and love, but I have too much to do. So no more fan mail. Thank you. Thank you. And no objects to be signed. Nothing. Uh, anyway, peace and love, peace and love. Well, speaking of down under, is New Zealand considered down under or they don't like that? I don't know. I think down under is reserved for Australia. I don't know what right. New Zealanders enjoy. We just lost our friend in New Zealand. <laughs> oh, no. You know, my favorite thing about New Zealand is Crocodile Dundee and Men at Work. <laughs> you better run, you better take well, speaking of under the equator, how about that? <laughs> Good job. <laughs> no, I'm Tony. I know what maps are. Fuck off. <laughs> we wanted to talk about this show that we recently stumbled upon of the Beatles playing live in Melbourne in 1964, a show that we just thought was worth talking about. Yeah, this is a show I knew very little about. There's one of the numbers is used at the close of Anthology 1 uh, in the, uh, the, the, the video version of it when it aired on ABC. But you found this, and this uh, Melbourne show blew me away. This is a show I'd never heard before. And of all the 64 live bootlegs I have, I don't have, ever, like, there's people, completists, who have every live soundboard bootleg or whatever from 64. That's not me. But I've heard a fair right. amount of live stuff, 
And I don't know that I've heard a show in this great sound quality with this kind of running order or set list. I guess <laughs> in improv, it's, 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 it's a running order. Yeah, yeah. You're, doing, you're blending the two worlds, which we, sh- we should do. Yeah. Improv and rock are very similar because you get older and you have a lot of regrets. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I can't wait to get into the show with you because you discovered this on YouTube. And uh, the minute you sent me the link, I was just so engrossed by not just the performances, but the whole sound quality and visual quality for most of it kind of blew my little face off. <laughs> Yeah, it's such a fun show. Yeah, full disclosure, I was at, this is hilarious. I was procrastinating magical mystery tour research by watching a Beatles show from 64. <laughs> and some of that's because I'm, I I don't want really to take it out of context, but you hate all the Beatles stuff after 65? <laughs> yeah, when they discovered pot, I was like, I'm out. I am out. Uh except for the Abbey Road medley. I am out. Yeah, and, and and you only like the Abbey Road medley that has Her Majesty in the middle. Yeah, the the long one. The long I like one. It. the long one. No, uh, no, it's just I love Magical Mystery Tour so much that you know, like it contains my favorite song, Strawberry Fields Forever, and it was just like, well, what am I going to say about that? And I just wanted to take a break from '67 Beatles and watch some '64 Beatles. Yeah, <laughs> whole different decade. Well, this is part of their only world tour. It was uh, 30 shows, two legs. It went from June 4th through August 16th. They did uh, Europe, so they're playing Denmark, the Netherlands. They went to Hong Kong for a show, and then they went into Oceania, uh, which brought them to uh, Adelaide, who, by the way, was my favorite Different Strokes housekeeper. (laughs) And and my favorite character from Guys and Dolls. Yes, there'll be a musical theater (laughs) reference in every show we do. Adelaide, Adelaide, ever-loving Adelaide. So this is the famous tour where uh, Jimmy Nickel stepped in at the beginning, because on the morning of June 3rd, 1964, Ringo collapsed during a photo shoot with the Saturday Evening Post. Yeah, so somebody played him an early uh, version of Bad Boy, and he was like, no. <laughs> yeah, out. the Ghost of Christmas Past played him. <laughs> Christmas Future, I mean. <laughs> played him Bad Boy. <laughs> he turned white as a sheet. No, but so he suffered from tonsillitis and pharyngitis. And by the way, be careful when you're Googling pharyngitis. (laughs) (laughs) Why is the FBI at my door? (laughs) No, no, not like that. No, it's just like a literal mouthful. It's an eyeful of mouthful. How about that? It's just like ECUs of mouths. It's a sequel to Brian Epstein's A Cellar Full of Noise. It's a mouthful of eyeful, I think. (laughs) An eyeful of Frank Ifeel. (laughs) I remember you. Yeah, so instead of postponing this tour or whatever, you know, because it's a huge machine at this point, it's 30 dates, you'd have to, man, that would be a drag. So they get Jimmy Nickel in there for, I think it's like six dates which is probably around 12 shows. They'd seem to play about two shows per date for the most part. And uh, yeah, so that's so Jimmy played with them in Denmark and all those Netherlands dates and then Hong Kong. He did a date in Adelaide and then Ringo joined them in Melbourne for these shows. And yeah, this is I was reading about the tour actually earlier this morning in preparation and uh it sounds like they had a lot of fun, but when they arrived in Sydney, this is when they arrived in that rainstorm. Yeah. And they put them, they, so they like, oh, there's a rainstorm and there's all these screaming fans waiting for them at every airport, even the airports where they're just doing a layover to refuel the plane. And they don't have to get out of the plane, but there's people waiting for them, hoping that they're going to come out and wave or whatever. So they arrive in Sydney and it's just cold. Like, this is beating down rain. There's footage of it. I remember seeing this in The Complete Beatles, the great yeah. VHS era doc about the Beatles pre-anthology. And they did put them on this flatbed truck, <laughs> like, out in the elements. And they're they're wearing the, these uh, capes that they got in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. 
but I guess they were cheaply made. And so the dye, it's this blue dye that's getting all over their skin. They look like Smurfs or whatever, or like they've robbed a bank. Or <laughs> <laughs> and they're being, you know, I just think it's just hilarious that just like when they left Candlestick Park on their very last tour ever, they're like thrown in the back of some bank truck with a door locked and no windows, like a paddy wagon almost. Like it's this prison, these strange torturous things that they had to go through for Beatlemania. And I feel like when they were touring, uh, that happened a lot. Like, did, weren't they greeted by typhoons when they were in the Philippines? Wasn't that part of the nightmare that was part of that whole experience? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I might, that's actually what I might be confusing with the footage that was in Complete Beatles, perhaps. I don't know. I need to rewatch it again and we'll, we'll get back on that. We're going to do Complete Beatles, by the way, because yeah. I, 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 some years ago, dubbed my VHS copy of it to a DVD. And I recently uploaded the DVD into a digital file. It's a pretty good quality. And we've nice. said this on this show before you, to, to think you can't find the Complete Beatles anywhere is a real embarrassment for Apple. It's like they pretend it doesn't exist. And for at least a generation of Beatles fans, that movie was just definitive. But, you know, people talk about why the Beatles stopped touring. There's some Stones fans, I know one of them, um, who will say, yeah, but the Beatles lose points because they stopped touring. The Stones kind of kept it going. They still tour to this day. When you look at the mania part of Beatlemania, and certainly the way George Harrison was over it, and then John and Ringo were over it, it makes sense from that footage that the Beatles were like, no mas. <laughs> it was, I mean, what a nightmare. Would you want to do that? While they're making films, while they're making Revolver and Rubber Soul and all that. Yeah. What a nightmare. Yeah, while they're artistically growing, they still have to go through the mania. and the, Yeah, they had outgrown it. Yeah. I mean, in Sydney, during that rainstorm, a woman who had, you know, she had like a six-year-old child that was intellectually disabled. She threw the child at Paul McCartney hoping that, like, he would cure them, you know? They had this, like, Messiah stuff going on that they, you know, they talk about that in Anthology with Ringo's uh, basket cases comment. Yeah. There's also a clip in the show where John Lennon, they allude to John kind of going crazy when John kind of made the unfortunate choice to, I don't want to say mock the intellectually disabled, but I don't think that was his intention, but John kind of going nuts with the whole clap your hands and stomp your feet thing is, is, is a bad look. And was it's unfortunate. Yeah. But I think it was in response to all these people. He said these like cracked parents that were like shoving their, you know, their misery at them in hopes that the Beatles were the, this new Jesus or whatever. And it probably led to the whole, you know, Beatles bigger than Jesus thing that was going on, you know, that eventually was 66. Well, and that experience in Sydney led to the Tony Randall sitcom Love Sydney on NBC <laughs> in 1982, which is the first show on network TV where I'm pretty sure they had a gay character yeah. who was admit like Billy Crystal Boy. was yeah, gay soap, on soap, right. yeah. but I don't think it was called out as that. I think it was just part of his character, whereas on Love Sydney, Tony Randall was clearly out and it was part and parcel of the character. Yeah, I remember that show. It is the dreariest theme song in the history. And I love TV themes. And we'll cut to that TV theme now. <laughs> Please believe me. Lately my whole world is changing. Suddenly you're here. And my life's better than before. We're friends remember that show Me too. it was yeah like new york city right wasn't it like a new york apartment they lived in and it was him and a little girl sydney yeah. and i'd never heard that name before i think because i kept calling it love cindy and my dad had to correct me it's like no it's sydney well that that was that creepy brady bunch spinoff 
<laughs> where Cindy just sang her creepy version of Frosty the Snowman with a lisp that sounds it's the most nightmare song on record. So then on June 15th, Ringo arrives in Melbourne. He left his passport, by the way, in London. They had to FedEx it to him or whatever in San Francisco. He went from London to San Francisco to Honolulu to Fiji and then arrived in Melbourne, met up with the boys. I really think that Ringo's arrival really re-energized the group again. They, they got a taste of what they sounded like without Jimmy, who really only had two hours of rehearsal before jumping on the road with these guys. You know, he did a competent job. He wasn't a Pete Best or anything. God, <laughs> that one fill. <laughs> do, 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 do. Three cool cats. Yeah, Jimmy did all right. Jimmy did all right. But, you know, he's not Ringo. The Jimmy Nickel experience is one that, you know, many years later, George Harrison came out and said they wish they'd had the stones to say we're not doing this. And that wasn't meant offensively to Jimmy Nickel, but it, you know, it kind of broke the spirit of the Beatles. And uh, George Harrison, I think, wished that they could have just said, no, we're not going to tour till Ringo's healthy again. George also said it didn't do Jimmy Nickel any favors for his life to be a Beatle for two weeks. And I think you largely never heard from Jimmy Nickel again. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, he was mostly a session guy, so he may have just gone back to his session life, but I really don't know. Yeah. Was Bernard Prudy not available back then? Was he too busy <laughs> overdubbing the Charlie Watts tracks on Stones records? <laughs> Roberta Flack, Frank Sinatra, <laughs> Random, Heinz, Heinz, and Ward, Gregory Hines, Montgomery Ward. Like, at that point, you're just playing a word game. Montgomery Ward? <laughs> Tears for Fears, Nirvana, <laughs> Pearl Jam. Hooba Stank. <laughs> Bernard Prudy's best drumming, arguably, is in Hooba Stank. I think that can't be argued. Did I mention an earlier show that in the 2009 Broadway cast revival of Hair, it's Bernard Prudy on drums? He didn't play in the pit. For real. They just brought him in to play drums in their Hair revival. There you go. So he crazy. can add that to his, uh, his string there. Aretha Frank. Nina Simone. Roberta Flack, Donnie Hathaway. James Brown. Lloyd Price. Ray Charles. Frank Sinatra. Hines, Hines, and Ford, Barry Manilow, Dionne Warwick, The Animals, The Monkeys, The B.B. King. Well, Ringo is back, and it is Wednesday, June 17th, 1964, for which we have this video footage. It was recorded for the Australian Channel 9. This is the sixth and final Melbourne show, and it was screened on July 1st of uh, 1964 as... The Beatles sing for Shell. That's right. Not not a Shell game, but the oil company, which means these Beatles contributed to the destruction of the earth. <laughs> yeah. I want to know how much, like, that's definitely part of the whole Brian Epstein, almost like the colonel with Elvis, kind of like, yeah, yeah, sign it away. Just do it. The Beatles yeah. will sing for Shell. Like, that wouldn't fly now at mm -hmm. all. Yeah. <laughs> but the Beatles shill for Shell. And... Uh, <laughs> You can find this on YouTube. I think just put in uh, Beatles Melbourne 1964 and there's various varieties of, of uh, quality of this show. But um, you get about 14 and a half minutes of just great, amazing Beatlemania. To me, they're at the top of their game, you know, since Hamburg or whatever. I, I, I think they're really in a good place. And I really think it has to do with Ringo being back and... Uh, Lennon's voice sounds really good, too. They all sound great. George's guitar playing. There's some nuances in these songs that I've never heard in any other Beatles live show. They're kind of playing with some rhythmic things that are... You can tell how happy they are to have Ringo back. I would say, we've talked on the show before, John Lennon kind of said by the time the Beatles got to the States that the, the piss had kind of been taken out because they had already been playing live for so long that everything just kind of felt done by rote and they'd done it a million. You know, they'd done Twist and Shout 20,000 times by the time they got to the States. 
I contend that this live show is better than anything they did for the Hollywood Bowl, better than a lot of the stuff I've heard from Shea in 65. Um, yeah. In terms of like live Beatlemania Prime, I honest to God don't think I've ever heard anything performed this well or recorded this well. This this is like a must have. And I only learned about this thanks to you a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, back when we used to go to record shows and, you know, you would spend $30 for a VHS cassette of a Beatles show, stuff from 64, I was just like, oh, I think I've seen that. You know, I, you know, there's not much to see here. I would disagree at, uh, at this point. Yeah, this show's just great. Uh, let's just go track by track. Now, the order, okay, the order of things is iffy. We don't know quite what the order is. According to Setlist FM, it's one thing. According to Beatles Bible, it's another I do have the standard set list. I'll just rattle it off right here. I saw her standing there. You can't do that. All my loving. She loves you. Till there was you. Roll over Beethoven. Can't buy me love. Twist and shout. Long tall Sally. And somewhere in there, this boy. And the Dave Dexter version adds Ding Dong, Ding Dong by George Harrison. <laughs> well, yeah, because they released this around Christmas. So <laughs> got to capitalize <laughs> <laughs> but the order that's on YouTube that is for viewing pleasure starts with You Can't Do That. And a great version. This is the one that closes anthology, I guess, part one as it was seen on TV. And I think on the DVDs, is it It might be DVD two, I think, or DVD three. I forget which one. Yeah, I think it's DVD two. And uh, what I will always remember, and when I saw this, I got chills because... If you recall when Anthology won, and it was a three-parter when it aired on ABC originally, kicking off Thanksgiving uh, weekend of 1995, I think Anthology won was that Sunday night, which was just one of the great events in Beatle history for a second or third generation Beatle fan. And I'll always associate this live performance, Tony, with the countdown to Free as a Bird. Right, Because they had a countdown clock on ABC that was like, as the song was playing, it was like a banner saying new world premiere, new Beatles song in 30, 29, 28. Yeah. And this song faded out right after John Lennon's scream yep. before the guitar solo. Yeah. Um, they even slow it down. They yes. slow down the video. They keep the music at the same speed, but slow down the video to crossfade into the free as the bird. Yeah. I, I, I'm such a nerd. I'm getting a chill <laughs> talking about it. And not just that, but I believe they crossfade into the three of them awkwardly at the Golden Girls <laughs> kitchen table with Paul going... Yeah, they said it couldn't happen, but maybe it could. And he winks at the camera. Then the bird sound effect starts. You remember how they yep. they shot half half the Threedles is at the Golden Girls kitchen table <laughs> with those posters of race cars right? and stuff in the back. We get it, George. We've all heard the song faster. We know how you feel. Um, but yeah, so this is pretty great. Watching George Harrison play the solo and still do those you can't do that harmonies is kick ass. George's playing throughout this entire show is uh, so great. It's that perfect Carl Perkins meets Chuck Berry, rockabilly George Harrison. I can't get enough of his playing. Because I told you It's a really hot version of this song. Yeah. 
I like how high in the mix the backing vocals are. Like you really get to hear them. You know, they don't get smoothed and blended into the mix like you would on a professional released recording. You get to hear. And that's what I like about live recordings. You get to hear things a little more raw and as they are. And uh, I think Lennon's voice sounds so good. It's really natural sounding. It's I mean, it's the reason why John Lennon is revered to this day. And it's such a frustrating John Lennon story that by the time he had his comeback, he hated the sound of his voice. It's why Double Fantasy, his voice is so buried. And Mm. about 10 years ago, when they remixed Double Fantasy and called it Double Fantasy Stripped, Yoko and Jack Douglas, the original producer, made a concerted effort to mix his voice up super high to overcompensate for how buried Lennon's vocal was in the mix. I'm just sitting here watching the wheels go round and round. I really love to watch them roll. No longer riding on the merry-go-round. I just had to let it go. By 1980, John had kind of become, I don't want to say embarrassed by his voice, but he wanted to bury it more. And this is a reminder. I mean, it's two of the best. John Lennon and Paul McCartney, with all due respect to the other great rock and roll singers, are two of the greatest singers to ever sing rock in the history of music. And this concert shows why, because they're both trading off lead vocals and backing vocals throughout this thing that are just stellar. It's like them in their absolute live prime. It's great. It's great. Now, the only thing I'll say is that Ringo is a little bit ahead of the beat on those drum breaks. Because I told you before, oh. The first one or two drum breaks. Because I told you before, oh. He's a little ahead, and we don't see him yet in the edit. And I actually thought it was Jimmy Nickel at first, that it was still, you know, the Jimmy Nickel show. And then they do cut to him, and it's Ringo, and he's swinging, and it, it, it's great. I have no other critiques of Ringo from here on out. No, why don't you just note Ringo a little bit more? (laughs) God, you know what? Ringo sucked in rain. Wasn't much, wasn't much better in Ticket to Ride. (laughs) Well, you know, Paul wrote the Ticket to Ride drum part. Paul didn't play it though. (laughs) No, you're right. You're right. He did it. (laughs) It's like, you know, Gershwin wrote Rhapsody in Blue, but when Leonard Bernstein played, if Leonard Bernstein played, I might be making up (laughs) classical facts. You're thinking of Leonard Cohen. Uh, Len- Leonard Cohn, Leonard Bernstein, and Leonard Part Six. <laughs> Another Leonard Part Six reference on the show. America's living room legend, Bill Cosby. How do you get all this tape? In Leonard Part Six on video cassette, only from RCA Columbia Pictures Home Video. So what else is new? And can we also say it's a live version of "You Can't Do That." One of their great songs, you know, and not a huge hit. It's the B-side of Can't Buy Me Love, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I prefer this song to Can't Buy Me Love, so I I love hearing this one. Before I saw what the official set list was, uh, I thought this opened the show. To your point, it's a little jumbled, so it didn't actually open the show. But my note was how cool opening with this amazing B-side. This is just one of those four in the bar, John trying to write a Motown song just classics. It's just one of the great early Beatles tunes. Then it goes into All My Lovin' with John's guitar way up in the mix. <laughs> it, I love it. It, it's so, it. it drives the song. Yeah. Yeah. And it cuts. It's the treble on it is uh, ice picker. It's great. It's great. Ringo looks so jazzed to be back. Like the joy, you know, because he was, yeah, you know, he's a moody guy. You know, he's gone through those things like when he left the band during the White Album. You know, and he's got that hangdog thing going with the whole this boy thing. You know, it, it's kind of a character choice, but it's it's rooted in the truth. It's rooted in his being a sickly child and being alone and uh, growing up in the dingle. <laughs> I had a couple of dingles after I had Lou Balnati's last week. Are we talking about the same thing? <laughs> dingles were uh, Dolly Madison, right? <laughs> <laughs> they were next to the zingers and the... <laughs> Star crunches. (laughs) Star crunch. Okay, now we know who the zinger zapper is. The butler? You blockhead. When you have zingers around, there's no escaping the zinger zapper. (laughs) One of my favorite things about live, all my loving, and I think it's so amazing here, 
is on the record uh, after the solo, Paul's voice is double tracked on the verse, but live it's George double tracking with Paul, double tracking with Paul. That's not what I mean. It's George singing <laughs> along with Paul. And it's so great hearing George's voice doing the close your eyes and I'll kiss you harmonies after the solo's done. And that only happened live. And yeah. uh, it's seeing them sing together just makes me think, oh, it's, they had so much joy. Cut to 30 years later when they're slogging through thinking of linking. George, <laughs> <laughs> like, get me out of here. Much, much different in 64 than 94. For sure. And what's also great is when that harmony happens, it's a tight shot on George. So you actually get to see George singing. Close your eyes. What I'd like too is you get to see that little bit of George in there that is that kind of um what's the word? I don't know if it's sardonic, because it's not cynical, but when he says the line, when he says to you. He's not phoning it in, but he's putting a little twist on it that is kind of like I'm saying these words. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With a humor. It's it's basically he's in the ruddles for the words to you. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and there, of course there'd be no ruddles without George Harrison. So that, exactly. that, that, that that's that's absolutely perfect. Uh Ringo's swinging in the solo is way more prominent in this live version than it is in the studio version, too. Yeah. Ringo's just kind of swinging during that solo. Yeah, you get to hear that little snare, the ghost note he throws on the snare, uh, that little upbeat before the the crack. Yeah. It's great. And for those of you who are experimenting with crack, always take an upbeat first. That's like metaphor for a bump, <laughs> but make sure you... And we don't encourage crack, but kids will be kids. You do you. For all you young kids who are fans of the show, crack is whack. I want my baby back. <laughs> Thank you. Another Los Bravos <laughs> reference. This, if you listen to the show, you know, oh, they know. Tony and TJ know four things, and they say them a lot. Just, yeah, it's where we are. Yeah, we're the Taco Bell menu. It's the same four <laughs> ingredients just swapped around. Is your mouth big enough for the new Super Taco from Taco Bell? Is it big enough for a bigger taco? We went, to, uh, uh, my wife and I, my wife, went, uh, they opened a Taco Bell in the town we go to a lot in the summer. Uh, we go to a town called Elkhart Lake in Wisconsin, and there's a, um, a neighboring town's Plymouth, Wisconsin. Big deal when they opened a Taco Bell there in like 2014 or something. And that was the summer, the last summer before we tried to have kids, so we just went up there all summer and just got drunk that entire time. July 4th, 2014, <laughs> we went to Taco Bell and got breakfast there and ordered everything on the menu. I'm still pooping. By the way, great Elton John hit from 83. <laughs> 83. But I, um, I, like, and forever we refer to the crunch wrap as the crap wrap because that's what it makes you do. Well, then we get a version of She Loves You, and it's great. I'd never heard this song. Oh, it's one of their better ones, TJ. I, I didn't yeah. know it. Yeah. If you don't know the Beatles, this is one of the good ones. Did it come before <laughs> or after Little little Deuce Coop? <laughs> <laughs> This is great. I would actually, George has a couple stings with Ringo 
that are unlike any live performance of this I've heard. The interplay, you usually think of interplay between the bass player and the drummer. I feel like George and Ringo are so locked in on the song in a way that I've never heard a version of She Loves You Bar. This song is hot, hot, hot. This may be one of my favorite live versions of She Loves You I've ever heard. It really is great. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll always love this song, even though it's a teenager, silly pop song. I love it. I Who still cares? Love it. It's perfect for that way. You and yeah. I defend the silly love songs of the Beatles. This was, I think, their biggest seller up until Hey Jude, and one of the biggest selling songs in British music history. Yeah, you know, and the, the Aussies finally get to see the mop top wiggles when they do the ooh, and there's the big screams, and lots of shots of Paul on this one, too, for you, you Paul heads out there. <laughs> Raise his hand. <laughs> now, on some versions of the video... You get to see, this is where John does his famous clap your hands, stomp your feet bit. That happens here. Uh, we've talked about that. We know, we know, we yeah. know. And then uh, then it goes into Can't Buy Me Love, which is cool to see live. This one, I, there's not a lot of live versions of this on video out there. Like live, not miming on whatever, Top of the Pops or whatever. What I love about this version of Camp I Me Love, to your point that there aren't a, a ton of live video versions of this, this one has more of a country rockabilly feel than a lot mm. of the other straight ahead live versions. It almost feels a bit more like that anthology one ultra rare tracks take that I uh, love so much, which yeah. is kind of a more countrified version, which is yeah. still preferable to me. Uh, me then, too. And I love the Paul in the middle. Da, ba, ba, da, ba, ba, do, ba, do, be when yeah, Paul forgets yeah. the lyrics. Yeah, it's that's such, the only reason that version didn't make it. Which I, which <laughs> upsets me so much because it's such a great version. George has a fill before the solo on Paul's chorus that made me go, whoa. What's interesting, whoever directed this cuts to Ringo a ton during this the whole video anytime there's a guitar solo like you you know the drummer's not playing guitar Australian <laughs> director right they don't know man they're like oh they all look alike I can't tell the, the difference they don't know these songs maybe they do but I know what you mean right you're like oh why are you cutting on Ringo right now one of my favorite moments in this there's a cool rhythm thing that I've never heard in any version of them doing this before Right after Satan, you know, diamond rings and I'll be satisfied. They're, they all lock. They lock into a bum, bum, bum. Uh, it's on my notes. Yeah, Tony, they do a walk down. It, they, they do, do a walk a, down. They do a walk down. And it's it's so cool. When you've, when you've lived with a song for decades and when you've loved the song for decades and you hear something totally different. My thought is, did they rehearse that? Did it happen organically? But I've not heard, and I'm sure there's there's Beatle nerds more than us who maybe have heard one, but I've never heard another live take of the song that has that rhythmic pattern that walked down before, and I love it. I think it's really accentuated here. They're like locked in more. I think they do it on one of the ones that's on Hollywood Bowl. I forget which one, but it's it's so washy. 
that you kind of mistake it. The recording itself is so scream heavy that you, it's just, and that's why I honestly, that's why I don't think I've listened to a lot of the stuff from 64 because a lot of it's just marred with all the screaming and you know, that's a thing, you know? Yeah. This show, not so much. You can actually hear that. I think that's why I'm digging on this show so much. You can actually hear them. The screams are there and you see them getting hit with streamers or whatever, or the stage is getting cluttered with the streamers, I guess. I don't know. Toilet paper, whatever they're doing. Well, over because there. in Aus- a little trivia in Australia, June 17th is the new year. It's the middle of winter. <laughs> yeah, it is the winter. Yeah. 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 Which is wild. And then they go into this is my favorite version of Twist and Shout. Yeah. I like this song enough. It's not one of my huge favorites. I do like it. Lennon's vocal is just amazing. And he he actually improves, I think, on the Please Please Me version. Because he's doing some more improvised style vocals in there that you don't hear on the record. But he's doing it with the same passion that he brought to that last song they recorded for Please Please Me. I love it. And also Ringo's having more fun. There's more fills. It's it's just it just rocks more. I have the same note. I wrote, is this some of John's best live singing in 64? I, this totally. His vocal performance on this is amazing. You know, unlike the end of the Please Please Me album, he hadn't just sang for 12 hours and had a sore throat and a cold. I mean, that's right. part of what makes that so impressive in the Please Please Me album slash the early Beatles, which was reissued when Ferris Bueller came out with a sticker that said, includes Twist and Shout. They put a hype sticker on there for the when Ferris Bueller came out. Yep. Um, Twist and Shout, the reason there's no Ferris Bueller's Day Off original motion picture soundtrack, because they couldn't get the licensing rights. And how do you release a Ferris Bueller soundtrack without Twist and Shout? It doesn't make any, any right. sense. Um, yeah. One of the reasons I love this one, well, there's actually two reasons. The Beatles often opened with this, so it's cool to hear it in like a a mid-show slot. But also, there's so many versions that do the short version. This is the full version of Twist and Shout, which is is kind of a rarity for the Beatles, certainly in the States. I think in Europe, for whatever reason, they they did the live version a lot more, the full version. But in the States, they would do like the minute 20 version. And open with it, usually. And open with it, yeah. Yeah, it was like a warmer, it was a warm-up. But it's so great to hear it. Yeah, like you said, the full version. To hear those ahs, ahs twice is, and they feel it. Like you see it. And Ringo's just hitting the hi-hat a lot and the snare at the same time, like building and building. They're, they love playing. You know, they preferred this playing to the, oh, show up at this party, wave at these fans, sign this for these people, right. cure my daughter. <laughs> Cure my son, blah, blah, blah. Like, holy cure, shit. Cure this meat. <laughs> well, yeah, in Spain, yeah, they have to go to the Hamoneria <laughs> <laughs> and put in 20 hours at the Hamoneria. <laughs> Brian Epstein didn't see that in the contract. <laughs> <laughs> and that's John Lennon wrote Strawberry Fields while curing meat. <laughs> There's also a fun moment in Twist and Shout where Paul and George, like, Paul touches his nose or something, and then George, like, also touches his nose, and it, it's a fun little Beatle moment. And it, it, You can see how much, like, this is an era where they're still loving playing live. Uh, I, I've heard this on many live versions, so this isn't new, but just to reiterate, when Paul screams, yeah, before the bum, 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 before the last the tag... 
Hearing Paul's screams and yelps is always so exciting. You can tell how much Paul loves performing, and it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel Paul forced, like the story about fucking Hendrix wanting Clapton to tune his guitar. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like he's done it a million times. It's, it's just like primal, glorious, young Paul McCartney screaming, and I, I'm in for all of it. It's fun. It's fun. I also like the little look that John gives to Ringo during the shake it, shake it part to like cue him for like, it's fun to see the musician, the musician code on stage. Like, all right, here's where the change comes in or whatever. I also love as they get into the closer, uh, at least of the, the, the proper set, Paul acknowledges how great it is. He goes, very nice to have back with us, Ringo. And Ringo then swings the fuck out of the next number, which is one of their standard closers. Long tall Sally. yet to see paul not commit to this song <laughs> you know what i mean i love this song i love it every time they play it yeah you can tell that they just like playing this one this is like them not even being beatles this is them just being a fucking band like the way ringo's just slapping the hell out of the cymbals i really get a glimpse of them as being in hamburg or whatever you know what i mean that's the energy that's exactly uh that's the energy that they give off I love the piano behind Paul, too. Makes me wonder if he's going to jump back there and work on Fine Line from <laughs> Chaos and Creation. <laughs> yeah, he's going to do a Mellotron demo <laughs> for everyone. This is how a Mellotron works. And then I'm going to I'm going <laughs> to some wine glasses back there for him to. Ooh, here, here's a slower, more boring version of Lady Madonna. All right. <laughs> But it's a great version up until oh yeah, some Yahoo gets up on stage. Like, they're in the middle. They're about to hit the climax, and some doofus gets on stage to make it about him, <laughs> you know? And he goes up to Lennon, which is scary and prophetic, yeah, and shakes his hand, you know, while they're about to close this song out. And thankfully, the guy was not a nut other than he was just so he's this equivalent of people that like still to this day see a news reporter doing a live broadcast and like get behind that news person and wave at the camera like <laughs> guys or the guy who goes streaking during uh, yeah. during an A's Expos game. Yeah, <laughs> I went to uh, Comiskey or whatever it's called, but I went to a Sox game years ago and there was a father and son duo that like went on the field. And are those the ones who beat up the first base coach? Yeah, from fucking they were from Allsip or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the Legui family or something. <laughs> I remember the story. Those fucking Yahoo. By the way, A's Expos, I'm aware, could not have happened unless it was a World Series. I'm referring to a random exhibition game in Montreal. All right. A's Expos just came to mind. So back off, baseball fans. I'm not here for it. This is off the subject that we were on. I happened to be watching ESPN and the Marlins game, which was a pretty good ball game. Yes. And they had a shot of Jeff Torberg. Here's the 1-1 pitch to Roosevelt. Outside corner call strike, 1-2. and two. Flossing. Jeff just Torborg. Flossing. Flossing his teeth. I mean, flossing. And then, you know, just flipping it, floss. I mean, very rude. I, I believe everybody should floss, but in private. Tony, you mentioned how prophetic it is to see somebody kind of running up to shake hands with John. I had the same thought. It's especially chilling, not just knowing that John was murdered by somebody who used to be a diehard fan, whose autograph he got earlier the day John was killed, yeah. 
but also what happened to George Harrison being stalked. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the mania part of Beatlemania, we're lucky they were living as long as they were. It's funny how one insect can damage so much grain. Well, even after all that, they close the show, but they come back for one more bow, which is kind of cool. And then um, in these videos, there's also some bits of other songs that they don't have complete video for. So that includes Till There Was You. It was uh, number five. It was in the five hole, as you would say, <laughs> DJ. I always love this. So this is a way better song live. It's always a little rougher around the edges. I thought of you because there's almost like a Ventures like guitar ending. It ends oh, with yeah. the guitar bending like a Ventures tune that I just hadn't heard before. That's really neat. Beatles foray into surf music and Fender guitar sounds. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I I'm glad the Beatles never covered, like, Wipeout, because one of my <laughs> least favorite Beatles covers is Shout. Oh, really? Yeah, when the Beatles cover Shout, that I think the one time they did it was up for Ready, Steady, Go, or whatever the hell they did Shout on. Oh, I really like that. You know you make me want to Another one that's never been officially released on a Beatles CD or record or streamer, but I feel like Shout is the only Beatles cover I've heard that takes the piss out of the original. Really? Isn't it on Anthology? Or it's on one of those BBC things. I know it's out there, right? Isn't it out there? I don't think Shout has ever been officially released by EMI. Oh, okay. I must be crazy. Okay. But it's got Ringo going, a little bit louder now, a little bit louder now. <laughs> I, I, like the whole hey, Paul doing the hey's, I've never been a huge fan of. I feel like it doesn't work up the same excitement as the other Beatles covers. Interesting. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. One fab. <laughs> wow. I give it three. I give it three. These fab, And we're on a five scale, right? Is that our fab thing? Well, there's five Beatles. <laughs> yeah, there are. like it. Uh we also get a bit of roll over Beethoven. You get the the end bit. Basically, the, it comes in at reel and rock, and that's right around when John and Paul join in for the big ending on that. It's fun. It's cool. There's another rhythmic figure here that I've never heard them do before. Winks like a glowworm, dance like a spinning top. The band drops out and then comes right back in, and it yeah. actually took my damn breath away. <laughs> I'm going to put this in every Beatles mix I make for the next decade. It's, uh, I mean, I, I've, I just haven't heard it before. They're, they're playing like musicians do with songs. After you've played them a hundred times, you find the little things to make them of interest to the players. It's great. 
it's also always nice hearing this live because you don't hear the tacked on chord from another take at the very end. Yeah, right. You know, right. Where there's no symbols all of a sudden. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the symbols sliced out. Then audio only of this boy, which I don't know where that fits in the set list, but. I don't know where this boy goes. This boy is a very mysterious part of this because it's not included in the set list on certain documents of this night. Nor is it on the R.E.M. album document. We know I'm not an (laughs) R.E.M. fan. Have I mentioned that before? I got a problem with Michael Stipe. Yeah, he said one thing once and you've held it against him forever, just like the Elvis handshake. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a handshake with Nixon. (laughs) Yeah, but... Well, we'll get to Elvis in a, a later episode. I've got some Elvis stuff where he praises the Beatles. Pre-Nixon, he praised the Beatles. One of the things about this boy that has always been of interest to me is the prominence of this song, I feel like, was seriously negated in the U.S. because in... England and most of the world, I think this boy was the B side to, I want to hold your hand. Yeah. So even if you just bought that single, you flipped it over and you had this boy in the States, of course, I want to hold your hand capital back to I saw her standing there, which even though was much older, turned out to be a brilliant choice for a rockin' 45 to coincide with the Beatles arrival in, in America. This boy's the third song on Meet the Beatles. You know, this was never on a British Beatles LP until the British Rarities album came out in 78. That's So this boy's one of those kind of weirdo songs that in the States was the third track on Meet the Beatles. In most of the world was the B-side, I Want to Hold Your Hand. It didn't appear on an album until Rarities and, of course, later Past Masters. But they sure loved it. And, in fact, it was called Ringo's Theme in A Hard Day's Night. I like this song. I'll always like it. Me too. But you only get the audio on it. And uh, you also only get the audio for most of I Saw Her Standing There up until you hear Paul's scream uh, going into the solo and all that. Uh, George's solo on this is so hot. Hot shit! This is a hot shit solo George is playing. Talk about like George wanting to be Carl Per. It's I, I'll say this every episode we talk about early George guitar playing. No other guitar player has better combined Chuck Berry and Carl Perkins and just meld it into this one sound than George Harrison. It's so good. the long version of twist and shout but the short version of i saw her standing there after the solo right they go right back to the verse instead of going back to the bridge and it makes me kind of happy that john was there to be an editor and i kept thinking maybe if john was alive come on people from off the ground wouldn't have been seven minutes long. Like <laughs> Paul's tendencies to kind of to go long. It's like, <laughs> 
love how we foray into Beatle fanfic a little bit. <laughs> I love Beatle fanfiction. So what kind of underwear do you think Ringo wore? And I'm not trying to be creepy. Talk about the dingle. How is this dangle? And considering how close George was with Tom Petty, George was probably free balling. <laughs> Well, check it out. It's on YouTube. Uh, put in Beatles 1964 Melbourne. You'll get a kick out of it. It's a great show for what you can see. And uh, thank you all for listening. Keep the comments coming in. And uh, do take care. Try to get vaccinated. Be good to your neighbor. Casey, get us out of this with something clever. Casey. Oh, Casey. Thanks to our producer, Casey Baker. Thank you, thanks. Casey. Yeah, thanks a lot. And thank you for listening. We're the Untitled Beatles Podcast. I'm Tony Mendoza. <laughs> and I, I don't give a fuck who I am. Stop sending us jelly babies. Enough with them. We're tired of throwing jelly babies at us. All right? Now, real babies toss them. I'm TJ Shanoff, and I'm a baby tosser. Good, 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 good night. <laughs> Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe. <laughs> All right, I'm going to hit stop on that. <laughs>